It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Welcome to all in the audience. I thank you for your continued participation. I pray God's blessings on all of you. In the last episode, I claimed that Darwin's theory has been refuted by irreducible complexity and his tree of life has been refuted by the Cambrian explosion. And the foundation behind evolution, namely naturalism, has been defeated by the trustworthiness of rationality of the mind. Let me expand some more on two of these statements. I don't think I need to say anything more about Michael Behe's irreducible complexity refuting Darwin's theory. First, let me start with what I said about rationality of the mind and naturalism. C.S. Lewis argues, quotes, the naturalists have been engaged in thinking about nature. They have not attended to the fact that they were thinking. The moment one attends to this, it is obvious that one's own thinking cannot be merely a natural event, and therefore something other than nature exists. End quotes. Previously, I have said that the world's foremost philosopher of religion, Alvin Plantinga, gives an argument in his 1993 book, Warrant and Proper Function, in terms of the reliability of our own faculty of reasoning to give truth. He argued, if you believe that naturalism and evolution are true, then you have a defeater of all your beliefs. Plantinga is saying that the assumption of naturalism and evolution is something that undermines all your beliefs, in particular about naturalism and evolution themselves. Because if naturalism and evolution are true, then natural selection has selected our beliefs not for truth, but for survivability. So on naturalism and evolution, you have a defeater of the reliability of your cognitive faculties in any of your beliefs. Thus, this observation implies that naturalism is self-defeating. It cannot be rationally affirmed. Why? Naturalism, if true, then you have a defeater of all your beliefs, but most specifically your beliefs regarding naturalism. Naturalism need not be false, but instead Plantinga's argument shows naturalism is irrational. You can believe in it if you wish, 
but it is impossible to be rational in doing so. On the other hand, the one who has faith in God can trust in his reason, because in that case, reason flows out of God's nature. In his book, Can Science Explain Everything?, the mathematician and science historian John Lennox writes, Not only does science fail to rule out the supernatural, the very doing of science or any other rational activity rules it in. The Bible gives us a reason for trusting reason. Atheism does not. Now, let me expand on what I said about the Tree of Life and the Cambrian Explosion. Recall that in the previous episode, I explained that Charles Darwin offered a test for his theory of evolution in his book on the origin of species. He declared, quotes, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous, slight, successive modifications, my theory would absolutely break down, end quotes. He also said, quotes, natural selection can act only by taking advantage of slight successive modifications. She can never take a leap, but must advance by the shortest and slowest steps, end quotes. Stephen C. Meyer in Darwin's Doubt said that in The Origin of Species, Darwin organized many classes of biological evidence around just two central organizing ideas, universal common ancestry and natural selection. Myers continues, The first of these pillars, universal common ancestry, represented Darwin's theory of the history of life. Biology textbooks today usually depict the idea as Darwin did with a great, gradually unfolding, branching tree, the trunk of which represented the first primordial organism, which perhaps is some one-celled organism. The limbs and the branches represented all the species that evolved from this first form, then the succeeding branches representing the new forms from the simpler precursor forms. The vertical axis on which the tree is plotted represents the era of time. The horizontal axis represents changes in biological form. As you move vertically upward, the tree grows broader as it goes through stretches of geological time as more and more species are recognized. This whole plotting is called the tree of life. Myers adds, Biologists often call Darwin's theory of the history of life universal common descent to indicate that every organism on earth arose from a single common ancestor by a process of descent with modification. 
The second pillar of Darwin's theory affirmed the creative power of a process he called natural selection, a process that acted on random variations in the traits of organism and their offspring, whereas the theory of universal common descent postulated a pattern, the unbranching tree, to represent the history of life, natural selection referred to a process that Darwin said could generate the change implied by his branching tree of life. Meyer, in his book Return of the God Hypothesis, said, As Darwin understood it, the process of natural selection acting on random variations necessarily operated slowly and gradually, thus rendering any pattern of sudden appearance a puzzling anomaly. In other words, there should be no leap. Let's turn now to the fossil record and see if that either confirms or denies Darwin's idea of the tree of life. The fossil record is admittedly incomplete for several reasons. For one thing, not all organisms have bones. Also, many organisms were not in situations where quick burial and protection from decay could preserve them. And it is surely the case that many fossils have not yet been discovered. But the fossil record we do have is in important respects hostile to the Darwinists' interpretation. And that has long been known to insiders as the trade secret of paleontology. Meyer says, there was one set of facts that troubled Darwin, something he conceded his theory couldn't adequately explain. Darwin was puzzled by a pattern in the fossil record that seemed to document the geologically sudden appearance of animal life in a remote period of history, a period that is now called the Cambrian Explosion. Indeed, Darwin acknowledged that the fossil record of his day provided little support for his theory. He wrote, Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chains, and this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. The fossils of the Cambrian strata, in fact, arise abruptly in the geological record, in clear defiance of what Darwin's theory would lead us to expect. During this period, many new and anatomically complex creatures appeared in the layers of the rocks without any evidence of simpler ancestral forms in the earlier layers. The Cambrian strata was originally called the Silurian strata. Darwin described his concerns about the problem of the missing fossils by saying, the difficulty of understanding the absence 
of vast piles of fossiliferous strata, which on my theory were no doubt somewhere accumulated before the Silurian epoch, is very great. I allude to the manner in which numbers of species of the same group suddenly appear in the lowest known fossiliferous rocks. While Darwin's theory demanded incremental long-term change, whereby one species slowly evolved into another, he admitted several of the main divisions of the animal kingdom suddenly appear in the lowest known fossiliferous rocks. While Darwin's theory demanded incremental long-term change, whereby one species slowly evolved into another, he admitted several of the main divisions of the animal kingdom suddenly appear in the lowest known fossiliferous rocks. Nevertheless, Darwin hoped that future paleontologists eventually would discover confirmation of his theory in the fossil record. But Douglas Gruthius writes in the second edition of his book, Christian Apologetics, this hope of Darwin has been deferred. The Darwinian model should show two broad patterns of fossil evidence. The first is Darwin's tree of life. The earliest strata of the paleontological evidence should disclose simple and scarce organisms followed by more and more organisms of increasing complexity. The trunk should contain far fewer and far simpler forms than the subsequent branches. Second, Darwin argued that evolution proceeds by very small increments. Therefore, there should be a substantial record of transitions between species. Nonetheless, the evidence is increasingly cogent that neither of these two broad patterns of evidence is supported by the rocks at hand. Darwin's tree of life has been falsified by the fossil record. While it seems true that single-cell organisms occupy the earliest strata of Earth history, many organisms appear in great numbers with no traceable ancestors. This is particularly true of what is known as the Cambrian explosion, or more colloquially, biology's Big Bang. Darwin said, to the question why we do not find rich fossiliferous deposits to these assumed periods prior to the Cambrian system, I can give no satisfactory answer. The case at present must remain inexplicable and may not be truly urged as a valid argument against the views here entertained. In short, the fossil record shows a leap contrary to Darwin's hope, and he had no answer to avoid it. And history since then has not changed for the better for Darwin. I close this episode with the reminder, exercise daily, walk with God.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.